Today the sermon title is Stay the Course. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 16 through uh, 4, verse 1. And I read from the ESV, which is a bit different than what Eric was reading earlier, but same idea. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the time of worship and for the, the great words that Will shared and for the importance of remembering that you're with us in all things. You're here with us. You want to take our burdens. You want us to be free and to run for you and not be weighed down by things that you could take from us and carry for us. We pray this morning as we look ahead to the year that you'd help us to be inspired to stay the course, to not be feeling weak or exhausted or burned out, but be feeling energized and ready and looking ahead with optimism because of your promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so in this first verse, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. And the way that sentence is written, it's kind of obvious that it's kind of part of a previous thought. It starts with the word only. Paul's coming to the close of this letter, and he's also coming to the close of this section that we've been looking at all about legalism for a while. And we talked about the inferiority of legalism and the superiority of Christ and those things, and Paul here is urging them to hold true to that. And so, just so we make sure we have the context right, let's just do some review to look back at this chapter and see what Paul's been talking about, what things he's telling us to hold true to. So this whole chapter has been about legalism. And if you have a worship guide, you can kind of follow along. Some of the questions are in this part of the slides. Um, In the first few verses of this chapter, Paul warned them to watch out for those who practiced legalistic religion. Do you all remember what the word legalism meant? Just the way you do? That's very close. Yeah, Noah? Um, it's believing that good works can get you Right. It's the idea, and that's what Joseph was getting at too, the idea that you've got to follow these laws, these rules, in order to make it into heaven. And so your motivation for being good is because you're afraid that if you're not the best all the time, you might not be going to heaven. And where Paul's perspective is, you're already in, and your motivation for good works is now love for God. It's, it's a motivation out of gratitude and love It's not legalistic. So Paul here, he began this verse by warning about bad religion. And I called that title Making Religion Great Again because the term religion is not bad. Remember, you often hear today, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. 
that's the bad thing to say because the Bible uses the word religion in a good way. Pure and undefiled religion is this, right? Visiting orphans and widows. There's a, there's a pure and undefiled and right way to practice religion, and there's a wrong way. What we mean when we say it's not about religion, but re- we mean legalism. It's not about legalism, because often the world, when they hear religion, they think legalism. They think, like, you've got to follow all these rules, and so we're saying it's not about that. It's not about following rules. It's about relationship. So let's bring that word back, make religion great again. We have a religion and a pure and undefiled religion, which is all about faith and not legalism. But from there, Paul went on to go into more details about the inferiority of legalism. Paul mentioned how he could compete with anybody in terms of like trying to be good. He was the best of the best in terms of he was a Pharisee, and he followed the law, and he was considered blameless by all their standards. But it wasn't good enough. It was inferior because there was a better way And from there, Paul began to explain the superiority of Christ and how the way through Christ is way better because just by faith, we get righteousness from God just given to us for free just by faith. And then everything else is just icing. We're not having to earn it or work our way towards it. It's just given to us, and so it's a superior way. And then the last part of that, a kind of sermon series we talked about, This idea like, well, if you really believe this way, if you really believe that you can't earn it, that it's all given for free, does that result in some kind of lazy faith? Because you can just kind of do whatever and God just forgives you and He just gives you it all for free, so it's not a big deal. And Paul says no, he presses on even harder, not because he's trying to make it his own, but because Christ has already made him his own. And so out of gratitude and love, not because we're afraid of hell or anything else. And so then Paul said in verse 11, if by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And then in verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. And so back here when he says, let's hold true to what we've attained, that's what he's saying. Let's press on. Let's keep going. We're on this journey, and the kingdom of God is our destination. We're not there yet. We're in the process. We're making mistakes along the way. Let's not lose what we've already attained. Let's not take steps backwards. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not fall behind. Remember, Christ is our prize, and we're running for it. Let's keep going. And so now, for us, as we look ahead to this new year, it's kind of a fitting thing. We just sort of landed here on the first Sunday of the year, not by intention. It wasn't intentional. It just happened that way. Sorry, inside joke. That probably isn't appropriate to do inside jokes when none of you all get it. Um, But we just happened to land here this Sunday, and we're looking at this new year, and let's stay the course. Let's keep pursuing God. Let's not fall away. Let's not give up what we've already attained. Let's not steer the ship around and start going backwards the way we came. Let's not revert to any of our old habits, our old ideas. Let's keep moving forward, making progress in the right direction, staying the course. And so in this section we're reading today, Paul is going to give us some different ways that will help us to stay the course and to not go the wrong way and take steps backwards, but to keep going forward. So in verse 17, Paul says, brothers, he begins by saying brothers, and we also saw 
at the very last verse in verse 1 of chapter 4, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, my beloved. These are really strong terms of endearment. And I just want to remind you all, this is like maybe the only letter that I know of that Paul wrote, and he's correcting the church on nothing in this letter. This church in Philippi was apparently a pretty mature church. They had been partners with Paul in the gospel since the beginning. They were doing the right thing. Most of Paul's letters, he writes, yes, to encourage, but also because he has to correct things happening in those churches. And this is a letter we find no correction. We find nothing like, I've heard that you do this, and you better stop that, and when I come to see you, this better be changed. Like, none of that is in this letter. So it's very, he loves this church. They seem to be really on fire. And so he speaks very lovingly to them by these really intimate terms. And then he says, join in imitating me. Join others in imitating me, Paul. And this is familiar language to Paul. In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That can seem like a kind of conceited thing to, th- to say at first, right? I mean, imagine I say to you, just imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. You might think, well, you're not perfect. You sound like you think you're like just you know, the, the greatest thing that ever happened to this world, and that seems kind of conceited of you. But Paul says, no, imitate me. Imitate me like I imitate Christ. So obviously our goal... Our goal in life is to imitate Christ. I think we all know that. That's where the word Christian comes from. You know, it actually came from those who were mocking the church. We see it in Acts that they began to be known as Christians, which means little Christs. So even the world understood that the early church, their goal was to be like him, to imitate him. But how can we imitate him? We don't see him walking around and talking today, right? We didn't walk side by side with him. So how do we imitate Christ today? Well, we have the Gospels, which were given to us by the apostles. They wrote these Gospels, which tell us about who Christ is, how he felt, how he spoke, how he reacted. And that's okay. You know, we can kind of get a glimpse from that to imitate him. But still, we weren't there. So Christ appointed apostles to start the church, preach the gospel, plant churches, write letters. They were the ones who laid the foundation for the church. They were the ones who walked and talked and ate and slept and wept with Christ for three and a half years. So we can look to them. We can imitate them as they imitate Christ. And so we can look at the gospels. We can also look at Acts which is what we, we did a few years ago. We went through Acts to figure out, okay, these were the first disciples of Christ. How do they live? And now what does that tell us about how we should live? So we have the Gospels. We have Acts. We also have the rest of the New Testament, letters written by the apostles, giving more instruction. But obviously that's kind of hard. So if, if to imitate Christ correctly, we have to know the Bible completely. That's kind of a hard task, Right? In order to imitate Christ correctly, we have to like memorize the Gospels, memorize the New Testament, so we now know in every situation how we're supposed to act and talk and react, because now we've mastered it, we've memorized it. That's kind of a hard task, right? So, in the present day, there may be others, and there are others, that have been doing this longer than you. So, we can imitate others who are imitating the apostles who are imitating Christ. Do you see kind of what I'm getting at there? It's just, we have this book, and this book is instruction for our life, and if we're supposed to imitate Christ, 
We can look to him. We can look to the apostles. But that's, again, it's, it takes a long time to learn all of these things. So there will be others in your life that are further along than you that have been studying and following others and imitating Christ longer. And you can also look to them. Pastors should be this way for you. You should be able to see your pastor as somebody further along spiritually than you in the direction you want to go so that you can see them as an example of somebody who's imitating the apostles or imitating Christ. And it's not just pastors, though. So pastors are that for you, but it's not just pastors. There may be others in your life that you can look up to, and it is so important to have that, to have people like this that you can look to to keep your eyes on who live as an example for you. So Lindsay and I, we've always had this talk because we got married very early before all of our friends, and so we were often in a place where we were dealing with things as a young couple that our peers weren't dealing with yet. And so we were always looking for older couples that were further along in the places we wanted to go spiritually or professionally, people we could look up to, we could ask questions to, they could speak truth into our life. You need to have those people. And you are that person for somebody else. God is going to bring others into your life that are not as far along as you are with Him. And you can be a guiding light for them. You might feel like you're not that close to God. You might feel that your walk with God is not very impressive. But you are somebody that others are looking to for an example. Others might have their eyes on you to see how you're going to react in a situation. So this is how it should be. We should have these kinds of people in our life. You might have heard the phrase before, like everybody needs a Paul and a Barnabas and a Timothy. Have you all heard that phrase before? So the idea being... The Paul person in your life is um, like the person you look up to, the person you're trying to imitate, like he's an example in your life, or she's an example in your life. They're the person that kind of feeds into you. They're further along than you. It could be your pastor. It could be a friend of yours. It could be somebody who's just spiritually further along. You need to have those in your life. Then you need to have Barnabases in your life too, people that are kind of the same level you are, that are serving alongside you, encouraging you. You're building each other up. There's, there's iron sharpening iron, friendship, fellowship. You need to have those. And then the Timothy is the one that you're discipling or mentoring or the one you're pouring into, the person that's, that's looking to you who is not as far along as you that you might be able to help and guide and point to Christ for whatever they're going through. And so in our lives... This is something we can be praying about in this year, 2022. Who are the Pauls in my life? Who are the Barnabases? Who are the Timothys? Um, I don't have a female name equivalent for that, but I hope you'll forgive me for that. I'm not trying to be one-sided, but just basically praying about who in your life are the people you look up to spiritually and make sure you have those relationships and you're tending to those relationships because they're the ones who can encourage you and lead you closer to Christ. And then who are the ones that are with me, alongside me, serving with me, that I should be encouraging, that can be encouraging me? And then who are those that I can be pouring into this year and and ministering to? And then Paul goes into mentioning people we should not look up to. Oh, see, I had a slide for that. Wouldn't that have been helpful? Well, too late, you missed it. It's your fault. Verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So I love how Paul says this with tears. He's not saying this 
in judgment. Too often, I think Christians can get to a place where they talk about the world just with judgment and with hate and like distaste and just, we're just so better than, and can you believe these idiots in the world that walk like this way? And Paul's with tears saying these things. He's humble about it. He wants them to be saved, but he says with tears, these people's ends is destruction. But he's saying here, don't look to those people. You have godly influences in your life you should look to, and then there's those who you should not be looking to, like these people here, who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And it's a simple fact. It's true. There are those that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, and you know them. You know those in your life that are not following Christ. Their God is their belly, which means they just pursue their own desires. They're hedonists. They're just pursuing whatever they want, whatever makes them happy. They glory in shame, meaning they brag about things that really should be shameful, but to them maybe it's just funny or it's, it's silly or it's goofy and they can make jokes about this bad thing they did and they expect their friends to laugh. It's shameful and they glory in that. They have their minds on earthly things. This doesn't mean they just think about earthly things. All of us think about earthly things. We live in a world and we have to, by necessity, think about things sometimes like finances and budget. And sometimes we like to have certain entertainments that's in the world. It doesn't mean, though, that we're setting our minds on that. Think of the correlation in Colossians 3 where Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So we have to at some time think of things in the world, and sometimes we enjoy things that are just in the world around us, but we are to set our mind above where Christ is. Set our minds there, not on things of the earth. And there are those, Paul says, who, who don't do this who have made earth their treasure. It's what they love, and so their eyes are set on that. It's all they think about. It's all they care about. They set their mind there, not on Christ. And Paul says, their end is destruction. And so don't idolize them. Don't look up to them. It's just as important as it is to watch and observe and imitate Christ and the apostles and those godly influences in your life. It's equally important to have the right perspective about those that the world might respect and revere, but who have rejected Christ and not follow them. And I once had a Christian friend that said his idol was Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager's a conservative talk show host, very famous. A lot of great ideas, a lot of great, wonderful conservative. He's very intelligent. He's very, um, he speaks very well, which is funny. Well, like, he's very articulate. He was very speaks good. Um, but he's a Jew who's rejected Christ. And so I said to my friend, look, you can respect his talents, but don't make anybody your idol who has intentionally rejected Christ. Why would you want to model your entire life after somebody who has rejected Christ? As a Christian, that can't be your role model. In verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So again, we should have our minds set on Christ, not on the earth, and we should recognize that this place is not our final destination. 
This is not the citizenship that matters. Too often Christians confuse being Christian with being some kind of patriot, especially in America. We don't see this elsewhere in the world like this, where Christians almost treat America like it's this new Jerusalem, um, and they have a hard time separating that you can not be loyal to a certain political party but still be a Christian. We confuse those things here, and Paul is saying our citizenship, our true citizenship is in heaven, and that should be our perspective And so for us, looking ahead this year, 2022, part of what will help us stay the course is recognizing that this is not all there is. This is not all we're waiting for. This is not where we end up. This is not the final destination. The story's not over. And as we face new coronavirus variants and other challenges this year, whatever new laws and policies come into effect could be issues in the family, issues with your job, decisions you've got to make, different living situations. Whatever comes at you this year, in school, with your friends, whatever, whatever we face, remember, this is not the end of the story. This is not the final destination. We are citizens of heaven, and our heart should be eagerly awaiting the return of Christ, our Savior to take us home. That's what we should be eagerly awaiting not anxiously afraid of the next policy that comes out and whether or not we've got to wear masks and this sort of thing. We should be just eagerly awaiting the resurrection, the new body, free of sickness, free of weakness, free of pain. And then it says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So Paul concludes this section with, again, more terms of endearment, but also saying, Stand firm in these things. So let's just quickly summarize what Paul kind of gave us to think about, and we can use this thinking ahead for this year for standing firm. First point, hold true. Don't drift off course. Number two, let's imitate Christ and the apostles and those in your life that are good examples for you. I guess that's point three. I got ahead of myself. Watch and imitate those who are examples to us. And let's be examples to others. Four, don't follow as examples those who reject Christ. We shouldn't have role models that won't get us to where we should be spiritually. Number five, remember, we are citizens of heaven and Christ is coming back. And we can look forward to that. And then the final point, let's stand firm in these things. So thinking ahead, 2022, let's keep going forward. I know it can feel at times like it's just a bunch of setbacks. Um, We have that sense with this church building sometimes that we're trying to move forward. We keep seeing setbacks, but as long as God has us here, let's not look back or drift or turn to the side. Let's not stop in our tracks. Let's keep going forward, standing firm in what we've already attained. Not that we've already made it all the way. We're still in the process, but let's not give up what we've achieved. Let's take that and keep going forward.